Let me invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. As soon as I get there, I'll tell you what page it's on. It's on page 1106 in the Pew Bible. Page 1106. This is uh, Richard Vermbrand. Uh, Richard Vermbrand was a pastor in Romania. Uh, when the communists seized Romania, Vermbrand was eventually pr- imprisoned for his faith. Uh, he's imprisoned a couple different times and spent several years each time in prison. He is the founder of the ministry called Voice of the Martyrs, which is a ministry to uh, persecuted Christians throughout the world. Vermbrand believed that in addition to all the traditional theological divisions of study, all the ologies, if you go to Bible college, you study theology, the doctrine of God, Christology, the doctrine of Christ, eschatology, the doctrine of last things, and so forth. He thought that we needed to add another discipline of study, and that was called, and he called it sufferology. And so that's the title of the sermon, sufferology. He says we need to study suffering from the Bible's point of view and prepare for it. So today I want to give you uh, the Bible's perspective on persecution. Um, we're not going to say all there is to say about what the Bible has to say about persecution because it's a, it's a large topic within Scripture, but we'll say a few things. Um, any number of passages I could have selected, I decided to go with uh, uh, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 10. Well, let's give a definition of persecution, first of all. Persecution is hardship or trouble from others because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. Hardship or trouble from others because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. Another way to put it is friction with the world. It's experiencing friction with the world. I want to give you a few statistics that come from Open Doors. Open Doors is another ministry that ministers to the persecuted church, persecuted believers throughout the world. Um, Christians are the most persecuted group. They are not the only group that are persecuted, but Christians are the most persecuted group in terms of statistics. 322 Christians are killed monthly on average for their faith. 200 million Christians are facing persecution on a regular basis. Um, Every month, 214 Christian churches and or properties are destroyed on average throughout the world. And the number one prayer request that comes from persecuted Christians to these ministries like Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors and so forth is prayer. Prayer is what they ask for most. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 39 here. uh, The author of Hebrews is writing to Hebrew believers um, who are experiencing uh, different forms of persecution and friction with the world. And some have been tempted tempted, uh, to go back to Judaism. Um, And he is encouraging them in the Lord. Verse 32. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened or after you had become a Christian, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. 
For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and obtain life. So I want to share with you a few um, truths or about persecution that this passage teaches or implies for us. Ava was a woman, uh, and she knew she needed to talk with her elementary school daughter. Uh, she needed to prepare her for what, what could come. Lily, she said, the day will come when, the, when they will ring our doorbell and take mom and dad away to prison. And when they come, I don't want you to worry. The Bible tells us it is normal to be persecuted as believers. They will take us to prison, ask us some questions, and they will hit us. Then we will come back. It took several days, but the, several years, I'm sorry, it took several years, but the day did come. On a winter morning while Lily was at school, authorities rang Ava's doorbell and hauled her parents. I'm sorry, rang Ava's doorbell and hauled her and her husband off to prison. One of the realities or one of the truths that this passage teaches us, number one, persecution should be expected. Persecution should be expected. Look how he starts off the passage here in verse 32. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, what? You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. Remember that? Remember those early days when you first became a Christian? You were uh, persecuted for your faith. You were taunted. Your stuff was confiscated. Not consecrated. Your stuff was confiscated. Your friends were imprisoned. Remember that? Why, why are you balking now? One of the underlying assumptions in this passage um, is that persecution, while painful, it shouldn't be unexpected. It shouldn't be unexpected. It shouldn't be thought of as somehow a mistake. It's sinful. It's a result of living in a sinful world, but it shouldn't be a surprise. First Peter 4. First P, uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, is writing to believers who are experiencing persecution. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you, if you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Shouldn't be surprised when persecution hits, when trouble hits, when friction with the world hits because of your faith. When persecution hits, sometimes Christians are tempted to think, what I do wrong that this is happening to me? Or this must be some mistake, some kind of mistake. I'm following the Lord after all. Aren't I following the Lord? So why would, why would bad things happen to me? But look at verse 14 again, the last half of that slide. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, what? Are you forgotten? No, it, quite the opposite. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So when believers experience persecution, it's not that God has abandoned them. God is right there with them. God is right there with them, walking through it with them. Look at what Jesus said. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are no longer of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Remember what Ava said to her daughter. The Bible tells us it is normal to be persecuted as believers. Vermbrand said, 
that in countries that are hostile to Christians, it's not enough to believe and to be baptized. You've got to know how to suffer. He said, preparation for suffering is one of the essentials for new believers. A Christian does not panic if he is put in prison. For the rank-and-file believer, prison is a new place to witness for Christ. Persecution shouldn't come as a surprise. Now, in our country, it might come as a surprise. We've been, we've been extended a measure of grace um, for some time. But in general, should persecution... I remember sitting in a, I remember sitting in a Sunday school class when I was a, a college student at the church I grew up in, Eastwood Chapel on the southeast side of town. And we had uh, one adult Sunday school class, and I remember our, our uh, Sunday school teacher talking occasionally that, you know, the way things were headed, and this was a while ago, some time ago, she couldn't help but think eventually persecution in harsher and harsher forms is eventually coming to this country. I don't know if that's the case or not. Sometimes it feels like it's coming. But it shouldn't be unexpected. Number two, persecution manifests itself in a variety of ways. Persecution manifests itself in a variety of ways. Verses 32 and through 34 lists a lot of phrases. Uh, sufferings. And verse 32 talks about sufferings. Verse 33, you were publicly exposed. The word taunts. The word afflictions in verse 33. You were companions of those who were treated this way. Verse 34 talks about the fact, talks about prisoners and the confiscation of your possessions. Persecution manifests itself in different ways. There is a wide spectrum of persecution around the world from very harsh forms to um, mild and soft forms. Um, Some of the harsh forms that I read about on a regular basis include imprisonment, torture, murder, kidnapping, beating, maiming, rape, vandalism, theft, confiscation of property, arson. People are expelled from their homes or uh, their villages. I read a lot in Laos, a communist country where where families are expelled from the village that they live in um, because of their faith in Christ. Higher taxes, um, denial of education to children, uh, laws against witnessing, against taking your children to church, against meeting together to worship, against bowing your head to pray or saying prayers, uh, police and courts turning a blind eye to the persecution against you, or police and the courts themselves being the persecutors, your family hating you, mocking you, kicking you out, tying you up, beating you, hiring someone to kill you, or killing you themselves. These are some of the harsher forms of persecution. But there are soft forms of persecution as well. Um, In fact, we might just call it friction. We might just call it friction with the world. Maybe we wouldn't use the word persecution. That seems too harsh. But we could call it friction for the moment, if you will. And we're beginning to experience some of that here in the United States. When people mock you for your faith, that's friction with the world because of your faith. When people mock you for your beliefs or paint Christians as hateful and evil because of their beliefs, that's friction with the world. When Christians are routinely mocked in the media and entertainment, that's uh, friction with the world. Friction because of our faith. When Christians are passed over for for promotion at work because, because of their faith, that's friction. Now, if you're passed over for a promotion at work, not because of your faith, but because you're lazy or you don't show up on time, that, that's, not, that's not persecution. <laughs> that's just desserts. Um, hopefully Christians aren't that, way, aren't that way. When there's a felt cultural pressure to keep your faith to yourself, 
That's friction with the world. Friction with the world takes place within families as well. When an unbelieving spouse mocks the other or condescends to the other because of their faith, that's, that's friction with the world. Or parents with kids or kids with parents. Now, in identifying these forms of persecution or friction, the point is not so that we can uh, fall into self-pity. The point is not that. It's just to recognize that it's a reality and it's part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. The response we're to have to this is not self-pity, but in fact, the Bible tells us that there are a lot of other responses we are to have. Persecution is to be met with a host of Christ-like responses, a host of Christ-like responses. First one is faith. The first one is faith, verses 38 and 31, 39. But my righteous one will live by faith, verse 39. We are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and obtain life. The friction comes because of faith, but don't give up the faith because of friction. Continue to believe. The next one is confident hope. Confident hope, verses 34 to 36. For you sympathize with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves have a better and lasting possession. So don't throw away your confidence. Verse 36, you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Confident hope in what God is going to do after the persecution or because of the persecution. Another response is prayer. Matthew 5, 43 to 44, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That comes pretty natural. But, but I tell you, Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Doing God's will, verse 36. For you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you continue to do God's will. There's entrusting. Am I going too fast? Entrusting. First uh, Peter 4.19, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator. When you're experiencing difficulty, friction with the world, entrust your soul to God. There's doing good. Same verse. Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Continue to do good. Another passage along those lines, bless those, Romans 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. If your enemy is hungry, good, no, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Don't be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Conquer evil with good. Joy? That's a response to persecution? Joy? Look at that passage there, James. This passage always challenges me. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Have joy, because you know that God is doing something in you because of what is happening to you. Have joy. This goes back also to our passage, verse 34. For you sympathize with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. Is that your response when your possessions are confiscated? 
When they come knocking at your door and they kick you, they say, you're out of this house. You're out of this village, you Christian, because you put your faith in Christ. Yes. Joy. That's not a natural response, but that is a supernatural response. And the more Christ is formed in us and the more the Holy Spirit is at work in us, he is molding us into these kinds of Christ-like responses. Another one is witness. This comes out of 1 Peter 3. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be disturbed, but honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. This it's an opportunity for witness. I remember reading several years ago of a pastor, and I don't remember what country it was in. Um, he was arrested and he was imprisoned. It was related to his faith. And um, he, he began to have a thriving ministry there in the jail to the people he was, uh, to his fellow inmates. Several people were coming to Christ. And um, I don't remember how long his sentence was, but they... They told him that, that he was going to be released early, and he refused because of the ministry that he was having among these inmates. And so he served his full term and then was released. Incredible. The spirit within you as a Christian, now these are Christ-like responses, and these are the kinds of ways that Christians are to respond, and I, and I will tell you, many Christians are responding in these ways around the world as I read accounts in the Voice of the Martyrs. Um, I don't want to give the wrong impression like Christians and other persecuted Christians in other countries are like, yes, this is awesome, no problem whatsoever, because they do suffer, and they do experience it emotionally and physically and psychologically. Um, but they do, along with that, there is... Um, there's incredible response, and this is what the Holy Spirit does within believers. Okay, we press on. Uh, another thing about persecution is to remember that persecution is temporary. It's temporary, verses 37 to 39. For yet in a little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. Verse 39, but we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and obtain life. Persecution is temporary. Many Christians have been in prison for long periods of time. This is Peter Jasek. He's from the Czech Republic. He ministers on behalf of the Voice of the Martyrs, and he goes around to various countries. Um, and when he was in Sudan, uh, a routine check at the airport um, wasn't so routine, and he ended up in prison. And uh, he was in prison there for 445 days. Uh, and he was in a cell with uh, six or seven other Muslims. And once they found out he was a Christian, his life got a lot harder. <laughs> um, so he was not in for a short time, uh, a year and a quarter or so. Others have been in prison for seven years, 15 years, 22 years. Again, not a short time. But these are still temporary. Jasek was set free from prison uh, last year or earlier this year. Um, this is... This is Asya Bibi in Pakistan. Uh, she's a Christian wife and mother. In 2009, she was accused of blaspheming the Koran and was imprisoned in June of 2009. She's still in prison, waiting on a final appeal. 
Uh, millions, I will tell you that millions have prayed for her. Uh, her stuff's all over the Internet. And millions have prayed for her. And I don't know how God will decide that one. Um, but however long she spends in prison, whenever she gets out, it'll be temporary. It's still just temporary. Persecution doesn't go into eternity. Persecution can be painful, it can be intense, it can be all-consuming, but it can't endure. It can't last. It's temporary. For the Christian, life and joy will trump and overcome trouble, affliction, pain, suffering, and death. So it's temporary. Number five, enduring persecution will be greatly rewarded. It will be greatly rewarded. Verse 35, so don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Verse 36, for you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because what? Your reward is great in heaven. So I'm not going to ask you to, but I bet I could ask, I could ask you, have you been insulted for your faith or have people said false things about you because you're a Christian? And I bet some of you would raise your hand. You've experienced that. And look what it says. Be glad and rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. I remember um, several months ago, my dad was talking. Well, he told me about this. He was talking with someone about, uh, about the Lord, about his faith. And um, all of a sudden they said, you, you, you can't talk to me about that here. You can't talk to me about that here. You, you need to stop proselytizing, you know, and, and um, a few other things. And my dad was telling me about that, and he was a little, just a little frustrated. And I said, well, Dad, and I pointed into this passage, according to what Jesus said, your reward has been enhanced a little bit there. God is good. This is uh, Helen Berhane. Helen was arrested for sharing her faith in her home country of Eritrea. She spent almost three years in prison, much of this time in a metal shipping container, was her prison in the desert, in the Eritrean desert. Um, and in the desert, the days are quite hot and the nights are cold. Because she would not deny her faith or stop sharing her faith, she was beaten so severely she could not walk. When she was released, she wrote this in her memoirs. She said, Sometimes I cannot believe that this is my life. These four metal walls, all of us corralled like cattle, the pain, the hunger, the fear, all because of my belief in a God who is risen, who charges me to share my faith with these who do not yet know him, a God who I am forbidden to worship. I think back to a question I've been asked many times over my months in prison. Is your faith worth this, Helen? As the guards continue their rounds, I whisper the answer, yes. Yes. There is great reward for those who are persecuted. Number six, the persecution of fellow believers should excite our sympathies, should excite our sympathies, should push us to some kind of action. Verse 34, you sympathized. What did they do? Remember when you sympathized with the prisoners and you accepted with... Uh, uh, I guess I just wanted to focus on that first part. You sympathize with the prisoners. Romans 13 is a little uh, more explicit. Remember the prisoners as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering 
bodily. We are to remember the persecuted. Why? So what that Christians in Indonesia and Mexico and Cuba and Egypt and Uzbekistan and Syria are suffering for their faith? What is that to us? What, what can we do about it? What can we do about it? Why should we remember them? For one reason, it's because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 12. For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all, all believers here and around the world, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink the one spirit. There is a very real bond between us and all other believers. The bond of the same spirit dwelling within us. The spirit places us into God's family. And so God is our heavenly father. And all others placed into God's family are consequently our brothers and sisters in Christ. I have more. I've said this before. I have more in common. I have more in common with non-relatives, with people on the other side of the world who have a relationship with Jesus Christ than I do with my own blood family who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ because at the very core, at the very core of their being, there's a difference. There's a difference between us. And it's not that I don't love them. I pray for them, that they will not only be my family biologically, but they will be my, my ultimate family, the family that goes on into eternity. Because at eternity, at death, the families are separated according to who has faith in Jesus Christ and who doesn't have faith in Jesus Christ. The family that I will dwell with eternally is those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The conclusion then is if we're brothers and sisters with those around the world, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. So when they suffer, we suffer in one way or another. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So what can you do about persecution? Why remember the persecuted? Why sympathize them with them? So that you will pray for them. So that you will pray for them. I mentioned to you earlier what the number one request from persecuted Christians is, and it's prayer. Prayer is the number one request from persecuted Christians. It's not financial support. It's not Christian materials. It's not letters of encouragement, though these are all good. Though these are all good. And there are opportunities for, uh, there are ways that you can do all these things. But what our persecuted brothers and sisters ask for most is prayer. They understand that prayer works, that prayer is powerful. Prayer makes a tremendous difference in these believers' lives. Prayer sometimes brings about early release from prison. Prayer provides food and other necessities for families. Prayer brings healing, sometimes emotional, sometimes physical. It brings comfort. It brings boldness. It brings courage. It brings joy into jail cells. It strengthens faith in Christ. Prayer brings the ability to forgive and freedom from bitterness, which is really important. Prayer brings Bibles, and it brings legislative changes. Prayer causes persecutors, persecutors to be saved. I want to recall to you, what Pastor Edward said in his video, he said, you can be part of this battle. You can be part of this battle in praying on your knees against those powers of darkness and against the bloodshed and the evil that is spreading in our country. And we never lose hope. 
We know that on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus Christ changed a terrorist called Saul to Paul. And we still have this faith because Jesus is the same. He is still the sovereign Lord who can change the hardest hearts and convert the vilest sinners and make them saints. How do you know who to pray for? How do you know who to pray for? Um, In your bulletin, you don't have to take it out now, but there's an insert in there. Uh, Every other month, we put an insert about, uh, uh, about the persecuted church that gives you opportunities that highlights certain cases where you can pray for various individuals. That's one way. Um, you can start there by praying for those individuals. Um, I've mentioned Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors. Um, both of these are great ministries to the persecuted church. You can Google these and uh, go right to their websites, and they have tremendous resources in terms of... I get, uh, I get a weekly update from Voice of the Martyrs that usually has three or four cases uh, about... Um, what's going on around the world and who you can pray for. Open Doors has a calendar um, uh, that you can uh, pray through as well. And it could be, you know, as you, as you, if you do this, that God will lay one or two people on your heart and that you'll um, be praying for them for quite a while. Um, I, you know, I don't know how the Lord will work. I'm hoping that as a result of this, though, that you will consider praying more for the persecuted church. Um, It's a big task, you know, and I I would encourage you to pray more specifically than just pray for the church around the world. All of those kinds of prayers are good, too. Um, But as more are involved, uh, the more Christ will do um, through his people around the world. Well, that's just a few things about persecution. The Bible has a lot to say about it. Um, I guess the bottom line is that, uh, you know, as we pray for the persecuted church, we pray for the persecutors as well because we recognize that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces of darkness. The ones who are doing the persecuting are themselves blinded by Satan. They are themselves deceived. And so we are praying not, uh, you know, our struggle isn't against them. It's a struggle against the spiritual forces of darkness. And so we pray for their salvation because As we know, the greatest missionary, the Apostle Paul, started off as a persecutor, and he was responsible for the deaths of early believers. And yet God got a hold of him and transformed him. And so we pray that as well. Um, Let's close in prayer, shall we?